Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Looking back on it, the stroke, I think, started while I was driving the car and didn't finish for two days. Um, I had two visits to hospital with it. They weren't convinced the first visit that it was a stroke. So after 18 hours, they sent me home. So while I was driving, I just felt that my right hand wasn't cooperating properly. I rang my then wife and she sounded more concerned than I was. I was a a stubborn middle-aged man. So all I did was decide I was going to go and have a lie down. It was uh, late in the afternoon until my wife got home. When she got home, she was pretty convinced that it was a stroke. I really had no understanding of what stroke was. I definitely didn't know to look the face, arms, speech and time. During the day, it got to the point where I couldn't stand up or get up off the bed myself. So my wife again rang the ambulance. We have a MICA paramedic service that showed up and he was disgusted that the hospital had sent me home. So he called another ambulance crew to come and get me and take me back, straight back to emergency, which was the start of seven weeks in hospital. My stay in hospital in the acute setting was in a neuro ward in one of our big hospitals. It's actually our main stroke hospital. I was there for eight days, pretty much isolated to the point where I couldn't do anything for myself. I couldn't stand up, I couldn't get out of bed. I needed two people to help me to go to the bathroom or shower or anything like that. Hello, it's Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In Australia, stroke was recorded as the underlying cause of about 5% of deaths. Since 1980, overall death rates as a result of a stroke have fallen by 75%. In this episode, we hear from Clive Kempson, who suffered a stroke at the age of 52. Prior to my stroke, I worked for myself. I had a electronic security business. I was the principal person in the business. Everybody else was a subcontractor. We did mainly commercial and industrial electronic security, access control, cameras, alarms, and the business was going well. It had been going for two years. Then the stroke happened, so things changed. Outside of work, I'm a very avid Melbourne Storm Rugby League supporter. And family life, really. Got two stepdaughters that I love dearly, and life was going along quite nicely. And then, without any warning signs, 
I had a stroke, which has changed my life completely. Looking back on it, the stroke, I think, started while I was driving the car and didn't finish for two days. Um, I had two visits to hospital with it. They weren't convinced the first visit that it was a stroke. So after 18 hours, they sent me home. So while I was driving, I just felt that my right hand wasn't cooperating properly. I thought it was, I was just tired. I stopped on the freeway, got myself a coffee, sat and rested for 20 minutes or so, continued on my way home. When I got home, I had some paperwork to do, so I sat at my laptop and that's when I noticed my right hand really wasn't cooperating on the keyboard. So I rang my then wife and she sounded more concerned than I was. I was a, a stubborn middle-aged man. So all I did was decide I was going to go and have a lie down. It was uh, late in the afternoon until my wife got home. When she got home, she was pretty convinced that it was a stroke. I really had no understanding of what stroke was. I definitely didn't know to look the face, arms, speech and time. I was stubborn to the point where I didn't really think I wanted an ambulance, but we have a service over here called Nurse on Call, which you can ring anytime, 24 hours a day and talk to a qualified nurse. So my wife did that. So I could still talk. I could still stand up. My arm was moving, although I've learned now that it wasn't doing the right thing. They took me into an emergency. It was nine o'clock at night by this time. Went in emergency, had all sorts of tests, put me on a drip, kept me there all night, moved me to a side ward in our emergency departments. We have side wards where less urgent cases can move to so the doctors are not distracted so much. Then I was moved to a neuro ward where I met an OT and a physio and a doctor. Having spent eight hours, I think, in the ward, the doctor decided I could go home because I was still walking around, although not 100% properly. So my wife came and picked me up and I went home. This was a Friday night. So overnight, I was obviously went to bed and went to sleep, woke up in the morning and was worse, but not. I, I could still stand up. During the day, it got to the point where I couldn't stand up or get up off the bed myself. So my wife again rang the ambulance. We have a MICA paramedic service that showed up and he was disgusted that the hospital had sent me home. So he called another ambulance crew to come and get me and take me back straight back to emergency, which was the start of seven weeks in hospital. Doctors aren't sure what caused Clive's stroke. I had an ischemic stroke. The neurologist can't tell me to this day why it happened. All he can say to me is, oh, well, it's one of them things that happens. My stay in hospital in the acute setting was in a neuro ward in one of our big hospitals. It's actually our main stroke hospital. I was there for eight days, pretty much 
isolated to the point where I couldn't do anything for myself. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't get out of bed. I needed two people to help me to go to the bathroom or shower or anything like that. They said that I would need to go to rehab and the hospital has rehab wards, but in the major hospitals are split into different sites. So I was to go to another site, which was actually closer to home, to the rehab ward. So I spent five weeks in the rehab ward, got to know some two physios and a couple of OTs that were amazing. And in that time, they got me up and walking. But I did find that the OTs were not as concerned about my arm function more about my ability to make a cup of tea or a slice of toast or feed myself so that when I was walking again, they could send me home. And the fact that I was going to go home to a family environment was their goal compared to someone going home to live on their own, I guess. So came the day to go home was a very emotional day because I didn't really know how I felt about going back into the outside world the way I was. On top of all that, we we were still trying to sort out business matters and jobs that were on the go prior to the stroke that I'd managed to get people I know to finish jobs. Turning down two jobs that I won, which would have kept me going for the next year, was hard to turn down the money and the job. It was yeah, very emotional and also not being able to drive. Like for me, driving was my independence. Without driving, I had to rely on other people to, all the time. In the six years since his stroke, Clive has made a steady recovery. So in the first, I'm going to say first two years because I got back to driving within two years, I went to our local rehab centre three to four days a week for probably at least 18 months, doing physio, OT, speech, seeing a psychologist. In that time, my walking had improved to a point where the physio wanted to discharge me. The OT had continued to see me because she, she could see there was progress to be made. Our health system, I suppose, is like any other. It's all about dollars. So we got to the point where my OT was being told from above that I, my length of stay in rehab was too long. I did argue about that one and took it further, that the length of stay equates to dollars and how come, who can decide that my recovery is to stop based on government money because all of my recovery and all my treatment and everything was covered by our Medicare system. Then I was told that if the consultant signed off on it, I could go for a driving test to see whether my cognitive ability was okay to drive and my physical ability as to what modifications I needed. So that took about three months to go through the processes, learn to drive a modified car with a driving instructor sit an on-road test with the OT and then get the tick of approval. Then the next step was to get my car modified. 
those funding here for car modifications, but the OT said it would take about 12 months, which was hard to take. And I said to her, so you give me my licence back in one hand, but you're telling me I can't drive for a year because I can't get funding for the modifications. So my wife and I decided we were just going to pay for the modifications ourselves so that I could get back to driving and a bit of independence. Coming up on Stroke Stories, Clive talks about working with the post-stroke organisation. Very passionate about providing OT information for stroke survivors in a simple-to-understand form, both in writing with emails that go out and we produce video content for Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok. So the idea of the nonprofit was to get corporate sponsorship so that we can continue to make this video content, but it's free. And support from family and friends. It's definitely a challenge for a loved one to go through. I understand that. If you stick by it, the person has had the stroke, it cements your relationship even further. I know several couples that one's had a stroke and one hasn't, they're still together and their relationship has gone, got, gotten stronger and stronger over time. Let's hear how Clive's doing with his physical recovery. In the present day, I'm now divorced. My now ex-wife decided that the stroke journey wasn't for her. Some of it was about money because I wasn't working. Present day, I don't work anymore. I live on a disability pension from the government. We have a system here called NDIS, which is the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which is a government-funded service for disabled people, which I get funding for. So I continue to this day. I see a physio and OT every week. I see an exercise physiologist once a week and I see my psychologist fortnightly and that's all paid for by the government. So I I live independently. I live in I actually live in a lifestyle village for over 50s. Maybe it's not really where I want to live, but it's suitable for what I need. So I, as I say, single story, I live independently. The only service I have which, again, the NDIS service pay for is I have a cleaner once a week who is more for mopping the floors and cleaning the bathrooms is more what I need it for because getting down on my knees and then getting back up is reasonably difficult. I also have Botox injections in my arm and in a couple of muscles in my leg and I can see progress in my fingers even now. It's very slow, but I can do it now. Now I'm in the process of being able to hold a fork in my right hand as like a stabilising thing so I can then cut things with my good hand, which is definite progress because I couldn't do that before. Based on the amount of hard work you put in, I think that Doctors shouldn't really limit you to X amount of months or years 
for progress. They don't know that. So I still believe I've got improvements to make and all the time I'm getting that help and assistance from the physio and OT, then I feel that it's worthwhile. Clive is a director and board member of Post Stroke Org. Post Stroke Org is a non-profit organisation based in Tennessee in the USA. I'm connected with Elise Newland or Dr Elise Newland, who is an OT and a very, I'm going to say, disgruntled person with the American health system, but also very passionate about providing OT information for stroke survivors in a simple-to-understand form, both in writing with emails that go out and we produce video content for Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok. So the idea of the nonprofit was to get corporate sponsorship so that we can continue to make this video content, but it's free without charging people, which is the whole basis for America, obviously, because everything comes down to a dollar in America. We've been working together for 18 months. Post-stroke has actually only been officially on the ground for three months. We've got an audience of something like 4,000 people from different cross-sections of America and around the world. So the idea is to produce content about recovery. Another one of the board members is physiotherapist as well. So we'll be able to produce content through the whole spectrum of stroke recovery. Elise has got some personal experience that her grandmother had a stroke and that really has what spurred her on to do this non-profit because of the lack of support they get in America. The statistic is something like 80% of people that have a stroke in the United States leave hospital with no rehab whatsoever, mainly because they can't afford it or they're not insured for it. And Clive thinks that during your recovery, you should always speak up for yourself. Advice for a stroke survivor, never go up and you need to advocate for yourself. Nobody's going to advocate for you harder than you are for yourself. Um, Whether it's in rehab or out in the world or whatever, you've got to advocate yourself and speak up. For a loved one in that situation of a loved one having a stroke, I'm probably a bit biased about that seeing as I got divorced after stroke. Um, It's definitely a challenge for a loved one to go through. I understand that. If you stick by it, the person has had the stroke, it cements your relationship even further. I know several couples that one's had a stroke and one hasn't, they're still together and their relationship has gone, got, gotten stronger and stronger over time. Clive's stroke had an immense physical and personal toll on him. He's now living independently and trying to make a difference to the lives of other stroke survivors through the charity Post Stroke Org. 
Thank you for supporting us at Stroke Stories. Please do spread the word and recommend the podcast to friends and family. And if you can rate on comment on the episodes you hear, that would be great too. It really does help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.